Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Film List. Hey, it's not Heath. It's me, Axel. And I'm here for a special podcast today. Uh, I have a guest. I'm just going to go right ahead and get out of the way. Gina is here with me. Gina, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing really great. Thanks for including me in this today. I'm very excited. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is a show that I've been wanting to talk about. And Heath and I covered it a bit on um, our, I think, top 10 shows of 2017. Mm -hmm. And Gina commented that it would be nice to have a female perspective when talking about The Handmaid's Tale. And I said, all right, let's do a podcast. And she said, okay, let's do it. So we're doing it. Yeah, we are. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Um, So this show is something that I think, like you say, the, the impetus of this podcast is to have a female perspective. And I think one of the reasons why when Heath and I were talking about it, and even when I'm talking about it with my wife or other women, as a man, it can be a little bit hard to talk about because as I'm watching the show, I'm almost, it has a quality that it, it's, it's so successful in showing the, just utter torment. And it's even hard for me to describe uh, what the women go through on this show that it's important to have that other perspective. How do you feel about that? Why did you, when you heard Heath and I talking about it, what were you kind of saying to yourself, maybe even in the way we were talking about it, that you felt that a different perspective was necessary? Well, you know, I think for one reason, I think this is the fact that the show is out now. It's it's weirdly timely in terms of everything that's just kind of happening in society. Um, you know, I think the Women's March, the first Women's March took place before it aired. And, you know, then, of course, we've seen over the course of the year, you know, a lot of women coming, speaking out about their experiences with sexual harassment and discrimination and, you know, the Me Too movement followed. And, you know, I think there's so much that while we aren't at this extreme in our society, that, you know, women are dealing with every day and, you know, kind of looking at it from my perspective, where we're at with a society right now with this administration, it is like, how many steps away from this are we really like sometimes you look at it and just think, Oh my gosh, we're like four to five steps away from this. And I think it's, it's really frightening to a lot of women to, and disturbing to watch the season of the handmaid's tale, which, you know, I think I watched the first four episodes back to back and I was just like, I couldn't sleep. 
that night. And, um, you know, I have a friend I was talking to it about and she goes, Oh, I'm a doomsdayer. She goes, we have an exit plan. Like she has a passport for her young daughter. They know where they're going to flee to if something like this starts happening. And that just kind of struck me as, man, you know, it's, it's, it's very real for, for certain people that, you know, this is something that could happen. And so that's why I just think having a, a woman's perspective on it is important. Yeah. You know, the word, the word that comes to me when I was watching this show and how you're just bringing up the fact that it could be so real in what's happening today is uh, numbing. Yeah. Yeah. Paralyzing. Yeah. Paralyzed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Paralyzing. And the, and and you think about some of the terms that are thrown around like gaslighting and things like that, you know, when you hear, when, when, even if I could imagine someone listening to the podcast and they hear you talking about someone thing like, oh, it's so close. And then some, you hear someone say, oh, come on. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. in the show, they have those moments, right? They do that to each other. Yeah. Like when it first starts happening and that echoes. So even as I'm thinking about it, that's, you know, it's such a deep show and the paralyzing nature of that make it, made it um, a little hard for like, remember Heath and I had talked a couple times about doing a podcast about it. As soon as he watched it, well, as soon as I watched it, I said to him, we need to do a pod about this. Then it was a couple months later, something he watched it. And then he immediately like at two or three in the morning texted me, let's do a podcast. And it's almost like it was kind of hard for us to talk about, you know, um, to gauge what that level of fear is and how true that is. And especially how true it would be as a woman uh, in America with, you know, happy smiley Mike Pence is vice president and Trump seeming willing to do just about anything because he either we can't figure out is it mental illness profit both (laughs) what's that entitlement yes entitlement exactly entitlement I don't so yeah yeah no, I mean, it's funny because I did not watch this show when it first came out. And I I had a friend, I don't think I watched it until maybe the summer. And um, a friend said to me, you've got to watch it. I'm like, I don't think I can. I'm just too angry right now. Mm-hmm. There's there's too much that's really happening. And that, the impact this is going to have on me, like, is it going to make me more angry? Is it going to make me super depressed? Um, you know, I think once I finally gave in, in some weird way, it gave me more, more awareness to be on guard, um, and to be open to the fact that it could actually get worse, um, which, you know, is a little paranoid and a little Mm -hmm. conspiracy theory, but at the same time, Things like the Muslim country ban coming into effect and, you know, just kind of starting to strip away certain rights that I think many of, you know, you know, maybe taken to for granted, but that are really important, then yeah, you know, kind of anything's possible. 
Yes. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, as I often say to friends and family, when the host of The Apprentice is the president of the United <laughs> States, how can you tell me that something is not possible? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, we are living uh, idiocracy and it's it's real and it's best to just accept that it's our culture right this is what and that's what makes the handmaid's tale which professes the i mean for you know the whole idea of the show is a group of men having this idea that they know best and need to correct what's going on you know right so yeah in effect it's almost it, it's almost as if that's why it's like trump pence <laughs> so you know what i mean that's what makes it even scarier yeah. that you have it this is. like total excess selling out money there no there's no countries there's only green right and mm-hmm. um then uh mikey pence comes along and is like we must cleanse right you know? yeah yeah, that's the consp- um, I was I was thinking about like the conspiracy part. It does make you to start think like that, and then you look around and you see that that's possible, and you realize that books like this that the show is based on and the people why they wanted to make this show is because art exists as an ideal for us to look at what we could be, what we are, what we should be worried about but we should celebrate and uh i think it's great that we just kind of launched right into it off the bat i think in our notes the real world stuff was like at the end <laughs> right yeah kind of building up to it but this kind of really sets the stage you and gotta. yeah you know i think you know in talking about I don't know, where should we begin now? You know, you mentioned that, you know, men are running the society, which is really true. But, you know, one of the main characters, Serena Joy, who is the wife of this powerful commander that, you know, Alfred June finds herself in the household of, you know, she had a role in this movement in the in kind of its early iteration, um, which, you know, I don't think she intended for this outcome. And yet, you know, this is where it's led. Mm. Um, and I think that in itself is, is kind of disturbing. Um, I found that to be one of the most interesting parts of this story to me. Now I come from a perspective of, I had never read this book and I don't know why I never read this book because I love like alternate history And when Mm -hmm. I was a kid, I used to read all these crazy different alternate. I mean, the most famous one is always like what it like um, the Amazon show that's on right now. What if the Nazis had won? Man in the High Castle. Man in the High Castle. Okay. Right. Like that's the number one. Like what do they call these speculative fiction? Is that what they sometimes call it? I think dystopian fiction. Okay. I think. Yeah. So. I've read, but I never read this book. I, like I said, I don't know why. So I have, had you read the book before coming to the show? You know, I read it 
probably right after college. So a long time ago. Um, and I just remember there are some things that stuck with me, but the overall thing was this book is amazing and it's totally messed up. Like, you know, this, whole, this is really screwed up and, you know, set it aside. And I've been wondering if I should revisit the book um, again, and maybe I'll do that after season two comes out. Um, Cause I kind of want to go fresh uh, into that without too much knowledge, but I had read the book before and I found it, the writing just super compelling and the story, you know, super crazy. Um, but honestly, um, as I watched the show, certain things came back to me, but you know, I think I just kind of blocked out parts of it. It's kind of like I'm someone that watched Thelma and Louise once and I could never watch it again. Um, and I kind of feel like that book was the same way. Mm, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, but getting back to what you had mentioned about, um, and I'm always terrible with names. So let me make sure that I have my, uh, IMDB up, which is, um, oh, Serena joy. Okay. That she was in many ways, the intellectual leader of this movement. Right. Like in the scenes yeah. that they show, and I, again, I'm not sure if it's the same in the book, in the scenes that they show, it seemed to me that the dudes were kind of power grabbing and she was like kind of a bit like the Bannon, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> she was like, I see that where the promised land, this is where we're going. And they were just trying to get the power to get there, right? And doing their politicking. And then as a result of the ideas that she came up with, she became really a slave. Yeah. She enslaved she went herself. From having an agenda, writing a book, you know, being, you know, promoting this domestic feminism, I think was was kind of the um you know, the premise of it all to, you know, you know, bring women back more into the family. And I think, you know, it was very family centric, which I think, you know, everyone can get behind to an extent, but now she's found herself in a society where she cannot write, she cannot read. And none of the women that she wrote that book for can read that book anymore. You know, I think there was one scene where she was, you know, cleaning out her closets and the house and, um, you see kind of like on the top of the dumpster or the trash pile was her book. Yeah. Um, I think it was called like a woman's place or something like that. And it's like, Oh, it's trash. Now, you know, your accomplishment is now trash and has created, you've created yourself a, you know, a prison, which is probably far from the vision that she actually had for society. And I think for me watching the show, that was in a way, um, it sounds strange, but an entry point because to kind of understanding deeper what was going on, you know, how uh, other people have to be complicit in order for this to happen. And part of being complicit oftentimes is kind of serving yourself up right, right. as yeah. um, almost a sacrifice or being able to mitigate 
how your freedoms will be taken away so more can be taken away from others. And as a dude watching the show, when I look at what's happening in our country and when I see the number of women that voted for Donald Trump and Pence, it's sometimes hard for me to say, and I'll, you know, I have discussions with my wife and other women friends. It could be hard for me to say, how do you treat these like complicit women, right? Women that have an idea, like even when I'm watching a reality show and then I see a, a like, it's like a romance kind of thing, right? You know, like if it's, uh, do you ever watch like Married at First Sight? No, but I've, I've, I've maybe seen five minutes of it. Okay, I don't okay. About. I don't want to. I don't want to, Gina. I don't want to stain our Handmaid's Tale discussion here. <laughs> but I do watch Married at First Sight with my wife, and we love it. And what and what often happens is this. This has happened three times on the show, and then they kind of stopped this storyline, and they actually went the complete opposite way which I appreciate them doing this, but they had a woman on the show who said a woman, I believe in a traditional dynamic, you know, like she came out right in the beginning of the show. Like some of the, you know, some of the men come out and say, they ask questions, you know, in their interviews and some of the men come out obviously and say, Hey, look, I'm looking for a partner, a friend and equal. And other men say, I have traditional values. A woman stays home, a man, does that, you know, maybe, or if she has a job, still the man is in charge, right? And then right. invariably, by the third episode, the woman is in her private interviews going, he thinks he's in charge of me, <laughs> right? Like, she asked yeah. for that. And he asked for that. And then in his interviews, he's always like, she's not nice enough to me, or I want her to lead a little bit more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why, why is she, you know, not opening up to me? Right. So it's like, they kind of quickly get to that point where they realize, and then the rest of the thing, but that's like a pattern of, I mean, what people do, both men and women. But in this case of watching this show, it's just so much more powerful because as a man, you always hear about how women, when, when you hear women talk to each other, when you can get that right if it passes the whatever Bechtel test right um mm -hmm. you hear a lot about cutting each other down right like yeah. supporting each other or not supporting each other is that a thing you hear among men like not really like I don't talk with my male friends and say hey guys we must support each other as men <laughs> you know what I mean like right, that's right. not part of my dialogue right or my as my social construct but it is in our country with women. So to be kind of clued into that and be able to see this character. And I mean, you're quickly introduced to her while her husband is having sex with another woman, right? And yeah. she's holding the other woman there in this strange menage a trois, right? Um, it was just, I found her character to be so compelling throughout the entire series mm -hmm. because yeah. I yeah. felt like, a kind of a weird mirror mirroring of liberal men in her too. And I know that's not a great thing to say as a man, but 
I I did see that. Like I saw her as kind of an entry point for a man watching the show, right? Like with his wife or something, because she is the mirror of me. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I think in her character and, you know, I mean, this isn't even who it's happening to, right? Like, but she has had a hand. And I think there's something so sad about where she's at now because, you know, she doesn't have the same relationship she had with her husband. Um, you know, you you talked about kind of those that traditional relationship and how one or the other partner, as they got into it, it wasn't necessarily what they wanted. And so, you know, her husband has now taken to having June, their handmaid, come down and play Scrabble with him in his den, something that is completely forbidden. Um, you know, not even their solo interaction, but the fact that she, you know, gets to handle letters and and spend this quality time with him. Mm-hmm. You can see this being something that Serena Joy and Fred used to do together, uh, uh, you yeah. know, probably earlier in the relationship. And, and now that even that's been ruined in, um, in a sad way. Um, yeah. That's a good point. And you, because you think in a, uh, I don't know, are you married? I'm not married. No, I'm, I'm single and coupled, but, um, uh, you know, in a relationship. Okay. You're in a relationship. So, you know, I'm, I'm married, uh, uh, that in order to, when like by defining things like that, like, that's why I say, I kind of call back to that, um, uh, married at first sight thing by defining things like that you are negating that power dynamics are fluid, right? And Mm -hmm. that's so interesting that you point that out, that they can't have these niceties any longer. Right. Because he he must always be stern, right? And that's why those scenes with him, um, with Offred, are so... Even the way they're shot um, and the way they're acted too, they're probably the most gentle. The first, I mean, at, at a certain point, they're not gentle any longer, but they're right. the most gentle, naive, almost playful, right? Mm-hmm. They're, in a, they're in a place of discovery and a place that allows them to grow as people. And I think the actors played that too. It was almost like an acting exercise. And then later when he has to invoke these, this, these strict, this structure of power dynamics onto her, he loses that. And that so angers him and, and she, and then when the wife finds out, like you're saying too, they have to reckon with the fact that the real like the real thing that's been violated here is their marriage because it reminds them of what they once had. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that was touching too. Did you watch this uh with your partner? No, no, I've watched it solo. 
Okay. Um, I don't. I don't know if he'd handle this show well. Okay. You know, disturbing. It's disturbing for a lot of people. And yeah. You know, I know some people that have started it and stopped, and uh, haven't been able to start it yet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, like I said, my wife and I watched this together and we'd often stop and, you know, we'd talk and um, it really had, a, you know, it had a, a effect on us. And I think it was good for our marriage too to kind of talk about these things too, you know, like it's it's uh, interesting. Maybe not as good as Married at First Sight, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> a little heavier. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, come on, right? We got to laugh a little bit. But um, okay, yeah, let's talk a little bit about um, you in your notes, you had kind of outlined some lines and some and kind of like talk a little bit about language and how important that is within the show. What did you what were you kind of achieve? What were you trying to achieve by that? What what really what what did you feel about that? Well, I think, you know, um, a little bit of background on me. I went to a woman's college. Um, I went to Mount Holyoke and I'd never really intended to go to a woman's college in conservative um, area uh, where pretty much everyone were, you know, Republicans. Um, and so I don't even really know that as a youth, and I think the teenagers today are so much more informed Um you know, for a lot of things, I don't even think I really, you know, realized that I didn't have to be kind of the norm. Um, and kind of a, a language they all wanted us to use is they wanted to call each other, they wanted us to call each other women and refer to each other as women and not girls, which is kind of annoying when you go into it and you graduate and you're like, yeah, I'm a girl again. But at the same time, when I see it in the context of this show, um, and I also rewatched nine to five recently, which was also really disturbing in a way, even though it's a comedy, um, the whole nuance of men girls repeatedly is, is pretty degrading, um, in terms of, you know, the way it's, the way it's used. And I think in the handmaid's tale, it's always about, they refer to these handmaids, which are the future of their population as dirty women, sluts, little whores. Um, and there are a lot of comparisons to the handmaids to dogs and animals. Like, oh, it's like training a training a dog, or oh, you're so lucky you have such an obedient handmaiden. Um, you know, it's just um, you know, it's just uh it's so icky. And the fact that most of it is the way women are talking about other women, I mm. think just makes it even worse. You know, it is, you know, you mentioned, okay, you know, women are talking about how they can support each other more, you know, whether it's, you know, in careers or life or as moms, you know, this kind of shows a society that has been, you know, they've, they've broken up any support for women by dividing them in, into these groups and, you know, kind of language, um, you know, I don't know if you call them society wives and handmaid's tale, but, you know, they use this language, the ants that 
brainwash the handmaids and teach them in these red centers, use this type of language with them. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of the only thing the handmaids are hearing about their existence. They're valued for their fertility. Everything about them, you know, are slutty animals. Um, and it's horrible. It's yeah. just really horrible. And and it is, it, it's so pervasive throughout the entire series. And that's what this show did such a remarkable job of world building. Um, I, one of the shows I described it, uh, along those lines is it felt to me kind of like lost in the sense that it created this whole emotional world for me that at the same time it had aspects of the, like, I don't know how to say like myth mythological aspects that I like in TV shows, like a game of Thrones, like a lost. So it, was able to have so much of this deepness and this resonance, but also have great um, storylines, action, mm -hmm. and, a, and, a, and a propulsive script. But this part of it for me too, and that's why I thought it was interesting that you kind of outlined and just even wrote these words down, which is important, is it was the way they showed like you, what did you call them? Like the society women, like all the, the, um, basically all the commander's wives. Yes. Yeah. They all, all wear blue. Wives. Yeah. And the way that they reacted, the way they formed these different cliques and groups and that language was such a part of it. And we know that in our own society, it's such a part of it. And mm -hmm. in that, in the last year, right. One of, the, one of the things that has been positive about the whole Me Too movement and everything going on is that something that uh, the kind of Trump presidency and the whole cult 45 thing is built to try to extinguish uh, people talking about this, right? Like they yeah. don't want to be bothered with it. They don't want to talk about it. And all of the don't, why are you trying to control what words I'm saying? But words always do have meaning. And throughout the show, it is the, the words are, uh, you know, it becomes so important too, because they can barely even almost everything we see all the handmaids say, and every time they speak, it's uh, restrained. Right. Right. Yeah. All the people are like always restrained. So yeah. these little words, they're not, and I don't, I want to say like in a lot of people today call it like dog whistles. Right. But um, it's not that because I think, I mean, they're just saying thing, these things outright. Uh, one of the most shocking things to me was when, um, we have the flashback where when she's June, right. And she's with, uh, Mora, how do you pronounce, am I pronouncing that correctly? Moira. Moira. Okay. I forgot the raw, uh, <laughs> from Jersey. Um, when they go in to get the coffee and the guy calls them a bunch of dirty sluts. Yeah. I think he calls them fucking sluts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Excuse and me? 
And they start laughing like this is the most unbelievable thing we've ever heard. Yeah. This is a service person just for trying to order coffee. And it was this it was at the same time. Like I don't think they realized it yet. Cause they're like, oh, where's Rachel? Or, you know, some a woman's name who was their usual server. They haven't realized it yet because they haven't gone into work. But I think that was the day where all women were working fired from their jobs. All women's money were handed over to their next, um, you know, kin male. Um, but they hadn't realized it yet. And so the abuse, they just got, you know, they're just like, what? What? Are you serious? And, um, you know, little did they know that that was going to become the norm in society. It wasn't just like some guy having a bad day. All right. Well, we're back. My son wanted a snack. So what we're going to do is we're going <laughs> to go through and talk about um, some of the characters uh, as an entry point into kind of getting into the overall events of the show and what we're looking forward to in season two. Uh, so first off, we have uh, June who becomes Offred. Um, Gina, you want to take us through a little bit of her journey and how she ended up where we find her? Yeah. So, you know, June seems like, you know, just kind of your regular everyday woman. She is a mom. She's a wife. Um, she's got a part-time job that she's had, you know, since college. Um, um, and, you know, I think she's just going about life as many of us do with, you know, maybe too much attention to what's, what's really happening. At least we've seen from, um, you know, from her, her background so far. Um, and then, you know, when all this change starts happening, you know, we see her, we see her, um, you know, lose her job because women aren't able to work again. We also see her escape with her husband and her, um, you know, four or five year old daughter to try to escape the new society. And I think, you know, in some ways, that's really where her story begins, just because we see her as a family unit, but then we also see how our family is, is ripped apart. She being shot and believes that he's dead and her child is ripped from her arms and she has no idea where they've taken her to. And her first, and that's her, her first experience with this new society without her family is being walked into the red center where they train handmaids, um, which are basically kind of concubines to the, higher ups in society uh, to breed for them. Um, but as luck would have it, her good friend Moira from college um, and after college is there with her. So she at least has a little bit of friendship and companionship as they uh, go through this weird new world um, together. Yeah. The, and- that, that part of the story, the way that they um, kind of dole it out in flashbacks And the way that um, it kind of goes on through the season, you know, I like the way that they mix the flashbacks that she has, 
So it's not just like, okay, now certain episodes they do do, okay, we're going to tell kind of a story here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like what happened to her husband or, you know, when they met or something, right? Or when she was going to have the kid, like they kind of concentrate on a little bit of different ones, but then they also mix in um, other points of reference to what was happening with the flashbacks as well. Right. Um, and the way that they keep on going back to that center throughout, it just shows, I mean, what, uh, you know, obviously what a shocking impact it was, but also what, what took me is again with like the kind of the same way they reacted to each other in the, um, uh, uh, coffee shop, you see that there's women reacting like that still when they're in the center. Right. Well, you know, they're being conditioned to treat each other poorly in the center. I think character, um, Janine, um, who the first thing she does when she walks into the red center is, you know, she basically mouths off to these women called the ants that are, are training these women. Um, and they haul her away. I think they cattle prod her first. They haul her away. Oh, one of her eyes has been removed, taken from her. So, you know, they really are setting a tone of punishment. And then I want to say it's a scene playing clothes. They aren't in their uniforms yet, but, you know, probably a week or two later where she's basically describing a time at a party in high school or college where she was taken down into the basement and she was gang raped and they are, the aunt is like, and whose fault was that? And all the handmaids point to her in the middle of the circle and said, it's her fault. It's her fault. So they're conditioning these women. They're conditioning these women to, I don't want to say hate each other, but detest in a way where, you know, we're all dirty, you're dirty. We should not, you know, it's, it's kind of a self-worth thing. And I think it's also a, they're finding ways to inspire them not to trust each other as well. Yeah. To devalue each other and themselves. Yeah. Because the way that they have them devalue each other um, about what they are. Right. So they're not saying like, make fun of that one. She has red hair, right? They're saying, make fun of that one. She's a woman. Yeah. Kind of, you You know, know? they'll take one thing from someone's past. Um, you know, and And it has to be sexual. Maybe they're not worthy to live a better life. Yeah. It's all the stuff they do, right. Is like sexual connected to the ways in which they want, they seek to control them, right? Like seeking to control them through the sexuality. Now, let me ask you this. What do you, what kind of theories, ideas do you have about, or do you think they'll get more into, um, and this is kind of like the walking dead question, right? Of like, why they talk a little bit about that women just kind of stopped being f- fertile, right? And men too. Yeah. 
that just fertility went down. Um, And then that kind of led to the situation that we're in and the creation of this group and this kind of splinter group of Christians um, because it's it, what's interesting too in the show is that they they persecute Catholics. Yeah, which I thought was I saw interesting. That when they down the Catholic Church, it's a very weird religious sect. Um, you know, it's like any, it's like kind of a weird branch of religion that is that is risen up. Um, yeah. And I, I thought that was kind of cool yeah. because um, uh, that's just kind of more of the like awesome world building. But uh, my point was this is um, do you think since they, and I know I'm just kind of theorizing here, how much are you invested in them getting into uh, maybe even like the kind of even scientific aspects of why, like why this is happening in the world? Like, do you think that's going to become a larger question in the show since with season two, they have like free license. There is no more of the book. It's over. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not completely invested because I think just kind of what I gather from what they've done so far is okay. You know, fertility rates dropped for a couple of reasons. One choice. um, And then the other, it seems like maybe they work the world and the environment into okay. a state where, I mean, you know, women and men were becoming infertile or sterile. Um, I think the other thing is it's not just about the inability to get pregnant. It's that the rate of birth defects and seems to have risen drastically as well as the ability to even give birth to healthy live children um, saying, you know, only one in five pregnancies will result in a healthy child. Um, and when you think about, okay, the pregnancy rates dropped even more then you know, it's, it's pretty small numbers. So I, I feel like it's more kind of environmental. Okay. That's cool. And that yeah. gives it, and I accept that too. I mean, you know, I don't need them to, you know, um, like dive deep into that. You know, I don't know how interesting that would be if this becomes like season two is like, you know, her kind of like escaping and then them like coming up with like a way to make clone babies. So they don't have to have (laughs) like, you know, like kind of defeats the purpose of the show, but that's, that's a distraction, but let's get back to, to talking about, um, June and offered in that, that transition and what you're talking about, about how they're kind of breaking them down. And in a way it's, it's very, those scenes in, um, that red center, that's what it's called. The red center, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, reminded me of the, uh, basic training scenes in, um, full metal jacket. Oh yeah. I mean, there, it, it is kind of, you know, it's interesting you say that because sometime in the series where uh, June says, if they didn't want to create an army, they shouldn't have given us uniforms. And oh, it nice. is yeah. a, tr- you know, kind of a, tr- a, ba- a weird basic training center where, no, they're not training them to be 
you know, armed forces or a military force. Although there is the weird exception where they get to carry out death penalties, which is a whole nother crazy thing. Um, but they are, they are training them and, you know, maybe whether they realize it or not, they, they are training an army and a force that is eventually, hopefully going to rise up against the society. And, um, you know, I think, you know, maybe the first time we see that is when June and Moira at the red center, they actually do try to escape. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, they, they tie up an ant. Uh, one of them, you know, Moira gets into her clothes and, and they go and, and, and Moira ends up being able to get on a train out of Boston somewhere. Um, but Alfred gets, June gets left behind, taken back, punished. I think they like whip her bare feet so she can't walk. And, and honestly, this is like that to me, maybe the weird first moment of triumph in this story is you know, June's face down on her bed and all the other women that are there in the red center with her are coming in from a meal and they're putting pieces of food on her bed for her because she clearly can't walk and is being punished. And they all kind of stand up around her. And that is, you know, kind of goes to show that despite all this, uh, you know, brainwashing and training that they're going through, there's, there's still support there. Um, they've got her back. They admire her for trying to escape. Um, you know, they're kind of honoring her, uh, in a weird way. Um, you know, in the only way they can. Yeah. And, and they, (coughs) excuse me, like happens so often and we see it, you know, in all in real life in the wars we're involved in and what's happening in our country now that they, in effect, they create their own resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Like you look at it and say, you know, if they didn't do all that stuff, like what happens if they treated them well, right? What happens if they treated the handmaids not like, now wouldn't that, would that be an inter as interesting a show if instead of treating them, uh, the way they do, which is as basically just walking wombs, right? Um, what if they treated them like gods? Right. Yeah, the treatment of them and their, you know, supposed value is just, you know, vastly different. They're reliant on these women to help repopulate society, and yet, you know, they they are physically abusing them, mentally abusing them, raping them in the once a month, you know, sex ceremony, Mm -hmm. which is super twisted. Um, But if they're treating them well, you know, I think to some of those women, they are being treated better than they were. Um, Oh, that's a point that's brought up. Yeah. yeah, The second of Glenn, um, just said, listen, don't ruin this for me. I was, you know, having sex with guys <laughs> behind dumpsters to get money to like, you know, buy oxy and a happy meal. Like I've got a good setup. I'm fed. They're nice to me. I have a place to live. Like don't ruin this for me. And so, you know, clearly there might be a low percentage of them might in some ways be better off than they were before and therefore have less issues with, with what's happened. 
Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Um, and and I think that uh, Offred serves and uh, as such a a good um, sounding board for all these different people. Uh, it's such a terrific acting job too. Uh, yeah. I can't believe it took us this long to mention it, but yeah, I mean the acting in this show is amazing. Yeah, but really um, phenomenal. <laughs> just the way, uh, just like I was talking about before, how controlled everything is, and and every time she interacts with someone, you but there's a lot of looking first and sizing up and what can be said and what can't be said and and what tone right or what voice she has to like she has two or three different voices that she kind of uses in, in not only um, level, but like tone with different people at different times. Um, yeah. And that is uh, such an important facet of the character. And one of the characters that I wanted to ask you about, um, because I don't know if it's someone different in the book, but which is, was kind of an enigma to me. Um, was uh let me get her um again i'm so terrible with the names okay well the original off glenn you know i i don't remember a lot of the original characters um from the book um that's cool but just i mean even what's your what was your from the show she was such uh an interesting character not only because of um the connection to this uh kind of unknown group you know but what she goes through as well um it was uh i mean obviously super shocking um but uh what do you think about her character you know it's so interesting because i think you know she does seem like you know and i think this was june's impression of her a pious goody two-shoes and you know that they she couldn't trust her And, you know, you put anyone in that uniform and just limit them to talking about the weather. It's, it's true. It's easy to make that assumption. And, you know, when she kind of comes out to June about, oh yeah, they used to have the best ice cream. It was better than sex. And then she's like, better than good sex, you know, and then kind of came out as, oh yeah, I, you know, had a wife and we had a son and, um, you know, I think that gave June hope because it's like, oh, this is like another just normal person, you know, like me, who's a mother and, um, you know, was well, you know, very well educated. Um, and yeah, I think she's a fascinating character. And, you know, I think the fact that she gets taken away, becomes the victim of female genital mutilation to curb her desires. And then, then we see her again a couple of times. And the last time we see her, she jumps in a car and just starts driving. And it's this, you know, there's this like kind of joyous, you know, happy music playing in the background. She runs over a guard. The handmaids are kind of in this, state of shock, you know, Janine is laughing and, you know, June just kind of gives her this sign like, yeah, you go girl. And, um, 
you know, then of course they stop her and holler off and, and we don't hear from her again, at least during that season. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, she was a, she said, she was talking about being part of the resistance or this underground and, you know, warned June that there's an eye, which is basically a spy in her house. And, you know, she was saying, you know, you can help us, you can get involved. She's like, I'm not that kind of person. And she goes, no one's that kind of person until they have to be, which is basically just a person that wants to stand up for doing what's right and protect others. Um, so I think she, you know, had a really big influence on, on June, you know, for the rest of the story and in kind of like where her arc takes her in terms of how she looks after other handmaidens. I think she's particularly motherly and concerned towards Janine um, slash of Warren um, who's not mentally well. And I think it influences her relationship with the character aunt Lydia as well. She seems to have more of a, civil adult dialogue with her there seems to be some interesting trust there um and then of course ultimately as she gets involved in um the mayday operation and um you know i think also inspires moira when they find each other again at jezebel's to to escape so yeah i think yeah i think she's an interesting character and i kind of hope we'll see more of her next season we don't really know what happened to her yeah me too and and uh oh oh i was just i'm sorry i'm getting a little bit of an echo there (coughs) i'm sorry um all right we're back yeah i felt that she was just as you said the inspiration for so much of the action that june takes and one of the things as you were so eloquently going through and kind of talking about how we first get to meet her and uh, seeing, remember when they were like kind of having fun on the beach and she's really in the beginning, she really strikes me as a character that is uh, a bit oblivious to what's going on. You know, she's uh, maybe uh more privileged, you know, she, and in, in most TV shows, in most TV shows, I think that they would have kind of went out of their way to show what she was like before this thing happened. And by showing it in kind of little bit, little snippets, it leaves a little bit more to your imagination. And at first that bothered me, right? Because Mm -hmm. I felt like I didn't understand who she was before you see like her kind of partying, you see her hanging out with people, you see that she hangs out with kind of a very diverse, intelligent group of people, right? Very artistic, right? Um, She seems to be well-traveled and educated. Um, and in a sense, uh, the the like the kind of um, just like pastiche of pictures that they kind of show you of her makes it. It reminded me of when people before the kind of Trump era would talk about like people living in like a post-racial society. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Like they're kind of, she is kind of an example of kind of like a liberal, right? More affluent white woman who then it took her a a while to kind of understand what was happening, right? Like she couldn't accept it. And even as she gets into uh, what's happening with her at the red center and then what happens with her later um, at, uh, at the commander's home that takes up our main part of our story, they allow her character to grow and learn and make mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm. And challenge herself uh, as the show progresses and one of the things that you had mentioned uh, when we took a little break there, you can thank Lachlan for this uh, illumination, um, is the little moments of joy. And I think you wanted to say something about that, about how that kind of, uh, or like, I don't know, what how, you had described it another way, like moments of just like... Uh, a, tri- a little moments of, of triumph, like yeah. where they're making some type of, of progress. Like I think, you know, when she in information, you know, and I think had the first Scrabble game with uh, Fred and was going to tell off Glenn about it. Um, you know, she's like, Oh, you know, she'll be, you know, she'll be happy that I even let him win <laughs> the game. Um, you know, just that she's got, like something like, I guess a little more of a purpose um, that's not a purpose of society, but, you know, kind of her own to make a difference. But, you know, I think that escape from the red center, I think, you know, um, the, you know, of Glenn one slash Emily, when she's driving the car, um, there's this moment where, well, it's, it's actually one of the bigger moments um, where, it's in the last episode um they're faced so you know the handmaids get to assassinate people in a really weird way i think the first episode you see them kicking and beating a man to death because he had uh raped a handmaiden supposedly and her baby died um and then the very last episode janine is being brought in she was threatening to jump from a bridge with her baby and um they were expected to stone her to death. And, you know, I think one of the most amazing moments is when June goes and picks up a stone. They're all in a circle. They're all in a state of disbelief. Um, you know, Avglin too, who didn't want to ruin her good situation is like, are you crazy? You want us to kill Janine? And, you know, she gets like butted with a gun in the face and June picks up the stone and looks at aunt Lydia and holds it out. And is just like, I'm sorry, Aunt Lydia, and drops the stone. And then all the other handmaids follow saying the same thing, doing the same thing. And that was just so powerful, like such a powerful way of protesting that was in line with the behavior they were supposed to, you know, train to train to have, except for the fact that she was doing it to defend one of her friends who she had been concerned about pretty much the whole time just because her state of mental health. And it's like, you know, you're not going to make me kill this woman that you broke. And, um, 
you know, so there are just kind of like those moments that um, I think are so powerful. Um, and another moment too was, you know, June gets into the situation where she's working for Mayday, which is a resistance group and um, gets this package of letters. And um, she's reading all these letters and they're basically from handmaids, hundreds of handmaids um, that are trying to get word to family members, loved ones, anyone that they're still alive and they're still okay. And they all start with my name is mm. and their true name as opposed to that. So I think, you know, we kind of see that build up and even the moment, you know, she's taken away at the end by the eyes, um, the police come together. We think for that protest, her, um, I don't know what we'd want to call him. We haven't even talked about Nick, but, um, you know, says, trust me, just go with them. Um, you know, even her, kind of attitude towards being taken. She's like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I give mm -hmm. myself over to the hands of strangers. And that's okay, because I actually tried to make, by that protest, I tried to make this world better for my daughter. And if that's all I get to do, then hopefully that's that's enough. Um, yeah. That's interesting that you saw it that way. I didn't know, I didn't know how to see it. Um, and by the way, that's a great description of those little moments and, um, it is really powerful and you're right throughout and they did a great job of using music, which I didn't, there was some, I remember after I watched it, I went back and read some, um, reviews and essays and stuff. And some people had kind of complained about the use of the music. I thought it was great. I really I liked know. it. Yeah. So, yeah. and they use that at certain times too. Um, and there, and there are little times there of hope, like she has to have hope, you know, yeah. and especially when we get to, I think it's episode maybe seven or eight, when we see that her husband is alive and that he's in Canada and that he even receives her note, right. From mm -hmm. the Mexican, yeah. em, uh, emissary, um, we know that the hope is possible for her, right? And that's something that they do a good job of um, of bringing us to that believable point that maybe something can happen. But the th one of the things that you mentioned that I loved and by what happens to her at the end and that defiance that she shows um, and also the power right? Because it's just like I was saying, like, why aren't they treating them like, that's the ultimate question, right? Like about uh, human nature in general. Why are, why do we hate the things we love? Why do we, you know, hurt the ones we love? Yeah. Uh, and also the power dynamics of they being the handmaids, being actually the most powerful people, right? Yeah. Because they are the only key that this society has to continuing. Right. There is a negative birth rate. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you know, there's not just a negative growth rate for their religion. There's like, there ain't nobody being born. So if you fuck with them, it's over. And she kind of like shows that. And, you know, um, they, they recognize that right. By, 
even letting them leave at that point. And again, we don't know where they're taking her at the end. Um, but it's just a, uh, the way that her character grows to be able to do something like that in the midst of all of these things is made true to us because of a thing we haven't talked too much either. It's like her, the kind of narration that she gives throughout, which help in those moments of joy. And when we find out that her, um, her husband is alive and in Canada and we think she can escape the end kind of made me feel like maybe her plan is not to escape. Mm. Right. That, um, her daughter, she has to get her daughter, but if she escapes, what does that do to the country? This still continues. I almost feel like in the end, when she walks to that car, the fact that Nick told her that, like, go with them, you know? Um, and the way he had acted previously, like breaking it off with her and kind of almost maybe to protect her, uh, right. made me feel like she was getting to a higher level. Yeah, I think that's you know? interesting. Um, I was wondering because Nick is, of course, a, a spy and he's, yeah. you know, kind of surveilling their household and um, also having an affair with her uh, that was kind of initiated by Serena Joy because who suspects, well, Fred can't get you pregnant and we yeah. need to find a way to get you pregnant. Um, it's better for you. It's better for everyone. Um but yeah, part of me wondered if, you know, Nick at one point said to her, I'm so sorry, I should have just driven away with you that day. And that was before they had any type of physical relationship. I have wondered, is he now working as a double agent? Is he working both sides? Is because she's now pregnant with his child, does he have more of an incentive mm. to get her out into safety so that child can actually grow up in a different society? Yeah, that's what I mean. That yeah. she yeah. is she she flipped it on them again, right? Mm. Like by having Nick's baby, when she realized that she was uh pregnant, she was obviously devastated, you know? Yeah. Um, and scared for herself and uh, first of all, the, for the, this child, right? Um, knowing that she would have to have it, right? Or then there's that choice there. Like, I don't know how um, she could go about having an abort or trying to give herself an abortion or that I don't think they're not, they're not going to try to get into any of that. Um, and I don't remember in the, in the show, do they get into that at all? I don't remember that. Um, I think they, you know, in the red center, I remember aunt Lydia kind of screaming about them about birth control, morning after pills, abortions, you know, just how, um, you know, women like them have contributed to, um, this. Oh you know, yeah. But I mean, like we didn't, but what I meant is that. we didn't see any of the handmaids, there wasn't like any type that was not an underground that existed. Not, no, right, not that we've seen right, anyway. Right. So, um, 
But what I'm saying is that she, she then uses that to like ascend again. Right. Like you're saying, like, because Nick is part of this eye, which we can see from the political machinations has kind of taken over this. Uh, it's, it's kind of almost like a rival party, right? You know, like in, like what happens in government, they're, they're the deep state. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. They're the deep they state. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just figured that out. Okay. I got it. They're the deep state. So they're taking over. So now she's in on that. So, I I don't know. I kind of foresee um, for this show going into the next season, instead of uh, like it being about her escaping, um, I kind of hope that it becomes about um, taking over the government. Yeah. Like more political in nature. And because the first season has so magnificently laid down the horrors of this world, right? And what the women and men and everyone is living in, uh, and even worldwide. And that the thing, the, one of the most heartbreaking parts of the whole season is when she finally like tells the Mexican, uh, consulate people, um, what is happening. And they're just kind of like, yeah, well, our country's messed up too. Sorry. Yeah. You know, like we have the same problems. We need handmaids, you know, they've become a commodity. That was heartbreaking. But um, yeah. What are you going to trade us for? Chocolate? I think was her statement. And it's like, yeah, I think we are. But I Uh, think it could be an, an interesting exploration of what if they can flip that to where they take control of like they are the goods you know what i mean so to kind of you know take over the control of that in the next season what do you foresee coming up in the next season you know i I think you're right i think a lot of next season is going to be of course more about the politics behind it because you know they've they've had the society for about three and a half four years now And, you know, at least there are some champions against it, like Canada's a safe place. We know that that guy in the Mexican government who helped get a note to her husband and told her he was still alive is, you know, somehow working behind the scenes to, you know, break down the government as it stands. Um, And then you have, I think, the scope of unknown people. So... So Nick, where do his loyalties really lie at this point? I think that's a big question. I think um, Rita, who is the Martha, basically kind of like the housekeeper, cook, mm-hmm. whatever in in uh, June's household. You know, she mentioned losing a son in the war. She didn't necessarily say what side he was on. Um, so if if you know they were on an opposing side you know, maybe she has potential to get more involved. And then, you know, I'm super fascinated with the Aunt Lydia character because I think her arc as a character has been really interesting because she's one of these hard-ass bitches at the Red Center that's whipping these girls into shape, girls, into shape for their handmade duties. And yet over the course of of the season we see more moments of humanity come from her Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I think particularly in, you know, she and June have, I think, a shared concern over Janine. She does treat Janine kindly um, in some instances. And I think she really is broken up over the fact she's bringing these handmaids together to basically stone this woman to death. Um, I'd love to see more about her backstory and what that is to see if that might have any influence because, you know, I think for the tide to turn, it's, it's going to have to be more than just the handmaids rising up. It's going to have to be certain people that are in current positions of power. Yeah. That's a great point. um, And authority to help turn that tide. Um, And so that's what I'm really interested. I mean, and sometimes I even think, you know, Serena joy, look at what you've become from what you wanted to be like, you know, she she could have a lot more power than I think she realizes. You know, I think, and that's the interesting thing. Um, she and she and June are both in this prison of a society, but I think June is figuring out how how she can use her her strength and and smarts to get out. And I don't know that Serena Joy has figured that out yet. Maybe yeah. she will. But I think they're all kind of like interesting possibilities in terms of who might turn. Um, Do you think that um, we'll get to see more of the world? That's something that I was really impressed. I mean, I thought the production design and the locations uh, on of this show were just amazing. It was so weird looking, like even just the way the houses were in the rows with the brick and, and even like that, uh, the kind of, um, little river that they walk where the guys are hanging, Mm -hmm. um, just the concrete and just where they meet in the field. It, uh, that's what I'm saying. It just had like a kind of a lost, like it was almost like, uh, like where the others lived and lost, like it just had this weird, like cultish, strange feeling to it. Like it was a place where if you drove, like as soon as you got there, you'd be like, Oh, what the fuck is up in this neighborhood? (laughs) You know know what it's kind of like, do you remember that movie Pleasantville where everything starts in black and white? It's almost, like the backdrop of the new society is it's so gray, right? And mm. then you've got Arthas wear gray, the ants wear brown. So they're kind of drabbing in the background. And then all the society women wear kind of these shades of teal or yep, blue, yep. turquoise, and the handmaids all wear red. And so it is very like weird color juxtapositions. Um, it's great. Yeah. They do a great job. I mean, the whole production is fantastic. Oh, I mean, but, and there's such there's some shots that are just so beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, it's like some show. of the cinematography is just kind of takes your breath away as well. It's just so well done, so well acted. Um, yeah. uh, but, but I wanted to ask you: Do you think that we'll get to see? Like they talk about, um, and you mentioned that they talk about this war. And they talk about that it was really quick, right? So I remember what it, it's just that they like nuked, what did they nuke New York or DC or something? 
Um, I mean, it does sound like they took out the White House and Congress. However, they did it. I don't know how. And then they, um, and then that's where they send people when they say the colonies or something, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I hope we'll get to see the colonies or at least other areas outside that kind of Boston proper yeah, area. That's what I'm interested um, in. I'd like to see. I like. Yeah. I wonder if they will expand it because. This show was actually very insular. Like the only kind of the trip we take, we take a trip where we see her daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And they show us kind of a little bit uh, of when they're kind of driving through places. And then we take the trip when they go to the club, you yeah. know? But otherwise, it's, um, it is a very, very closed you know, and that yeah. echoes the whole feeling of the whole place itself, you know, and like the stilted speech and everybody looking around. It's so, ooh, you know, um, so I'm interested to see if they're going to expand that out and I, let us see other I, places. Yeah. I believe they are. And they only say that because I did see a trailer. <gasps> oh, okay. I didn't see a trailer. I'm going I'm uh, to watch the trailer. You know what? I'm going to watch the trailer. I think I'm, yeah, I don't know. It's, I it's like, don't. it's literally like 30 seconds and it's such weird, quick flashes, but okay. I do believe we're going to see the colonies. Just okay, cool. I'm, that, I don't think that's a spoiler. I think that's cool. I like that they're going to do that because they have to, um, it's almost, you know, to look at this now from more of like a meta production standpoint, they really have to, they can't redo this first season. It was pretty perfect. You know, I was talking about it, uh, like when Heath and I talked about it and I was talking about it a lot with my wife, as I said, we watch it together. And I was thinking, this is really one of the most impressive first seasons of a television show that I can remember in a really long time. And there's a lot of good TV out right now. And a lot of people are putting together like a good kind of season, but this was really fantastic because a lot of the episodes, it told, um, a story through every episode, serialized story, but it did have different like episodes, you know what I mean? With themes, right? So that's something that, you know, critics talk a lot about. Are we... Is TV a movie or is it episodes? And when it can achieve, and the best really is when it's both, like The Sopranos, The Wire, so many other shows, Law, Game of Thrones, you know? I I, w- I even put Westworld in there, though I yeah. think the first season, I think they have the challenge of getting more to that in the second season. But um, anyway, I hope that they take a chance with this second season on not only branching out, but also in the way they tell the story and being confident in um, allowing it to expand because they have shown us that pain already, right? Mm -hmm. Not that I want the next season to be so joyous, but I... I I almost feel like we deserve that a little bit as does the characters, right? To this to, for their worldview to open up and the their possibilities 
to open up, you know? Yeah, no, I think so. Um, yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, there's got to be, you know, if they're making movement against kind of the whole political system, ideally some happier or some more of those kind of like triumphant moments, hopefully go from small moments to somewhat larger moments as whatever movement they have going um, gains momentum, hopefully. It'd be um, nice to see that, you know, they're, they're kind yeah. of it grow. And because the thing is this show ultimately um, within its, you know how like each TV show has like a show Bible or whatever, right? Um, ultimately this show has an, a, a one question that looms over it all, which is humans are dying out, right? So past the, right. past the politics and everything else that we see in our everyday life and all that, it's kind of like in a way like a dystopian sci-fi show. So I'm interested to see how much they explore that or if it's necessary. And like you said, I, I agree that the first season, it covered it enough for me. I don't need to see like scientists in a lab, like the midi chlorines from Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like the total explanation of what's happening. Um, but I think that there's ways that they can explore um, themes connected to that. If it's the environment, even if it's something we're looking at in our own um, world today, like the threat of, of mass destruction, right? Yeah. You know, we could get to that too, because if these guys are going to lose, if these, all these men are going to lose power, if, if that's what we see, if there's some sort of uprising, would they, as a last gasp, you know, nuke something else, blow something else up, right? You know, start yeah. a war with another country? It's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like kind of the whole world is in, in having environmental difficulties yeah. for sure. You know, that weather patterns aren't like relaying with crops, right? And you know, you mentioned getting into the science of it. And it's like, I wonder how many scientists are even still around, right? Because clearly, the religious overlay is putting a lot on this society. That's a great point. Because the yeah. easiest way to produce babies is like, you know, you don't need a man and a woman to have sex anymore. They could artificially inseminate all those women if and probably have higher success rates if that was really what was important. Um, but maybe the religion's against that. And they do seem very concerned about improving the environment, which is, I think, an irony of this um, society. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. That was interesting. But, oh, that's so much. Yeah. You're right. There's, just, there's so much to this. All right. There we, could, is, yeah. we could go on and on. I think I this this was super fun. I like the way we talked about how kind of stream of conscious. This was very cool. I really enjoyed talking about this show with you. Are you going to be watching the second season like as it premieres? Do you get Hulu? Do you have that as a service? Yeah, I do have Hulu. Okay, as a see, I always I, I cut the cord a while ago, so I all my kind of services are are online. Cord cutter, yeah. You know, I still. 
have direct TV and I just call them up and like talk them into stuff. Like they give a lot of good discounts, but, yeah. um, at some point we may have to consider doing the cord cutting. I don't know, but I like so many weird little things on TV and I'm, I guess I'm just old school, but I'm going to get a free trial of Hulu when this comes out. And I don't know how many episodes they're going to drop, but when they drop those first couple episodes, we should convene back. Oh, definitely. I want to do that. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. That let's make that a plan. Cause that's going to happen in like, I think it's April 22nd. Yeah. Some, somewhere in there. Okay. Is that, is the date. And, um, and actually I'm going to probably drop this podcast closer to that date. So it gets people ready for yeah. watching the show. So yeah, we're actually recording idea. this like a month before you all hear it. Cool. Time travel, man. I know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're giving this to you from the past. <laughs> yeah, Gina, this was awesome. You're a great Thank podcaster. You. No, this is great. I'm yeah. thrilled to be. I was thrilled when you're like, hey, you want to do it? I'm like, yeah. So, That's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm in. I can talk about this anytime. All right, cool. Uh, any, any last uh, thoughts or ideas or anything you wanted to say before we wrap it up? Um, I think it's really appropriate to say, don't let the bastards get you down, since that is a key phrase of the show. Um, yeah. So um, that's it. But yeah, you know, um, yeah, just really looking forward to this next season and where they go with it and the tremendous acting that I think is in store. Because honestly, like, yeah, all the all the actors and actresses I think will blow you away. It's when you think about some of the other things they've done, it's just pretty incredible. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, everyone, uh, thanks for checking out the film list. You can check us out at dvrpodcast.com. Uh, you can become a patron at uh, patreon.com slash DVR. And um, this will be up on the uh, film list. Um I think the film list, hey, maybe we'll have to start a new podcast called The Handmaid's List and uh, maybe. put it up there yeah. and uh, everybody will be listening. But um, this was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And what a deep show. And yeah, I'm really psyched for the second season because it's rare that they kind of, you know, a show has an opportunity. They had such a perfect first season from beginning to end um, that they have this opportunity now to do something that's kind of so different and expand this world. And it has all of the perfect parts there. I just, I'm almost a little nervous, yeah. you know, because it's, that's always the risk, you know, yeah. having something so phenomenal the first season yep. can the second seasons live up to it. Yep. But I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to have faith. Um, so we'll check you out next time. Thanks for listening. And as Gina said, don't let the bastards get you down. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.